Psalm 119, and let's read from the verse 57. The psalmist said, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I thought on my ways, and turned my feet on to thy testimonies. I made haste, and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee, because of thy righteous judgments. I am a companion of all them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. We'll end a reading at the end of the verse 64. And with the word of God before us open, let's unite please now in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we come now to the close of thy day. And Lord, we praise thee that it was on that Lord's day at night that Jesus himself drew near and went with his disciples to Emmaus. He turned aside and they said, tarry with us. And Lord, we pray that that will be our cry. Tarry with us tonight. Lord, come now and speak to the soul of that unconverted man, that unsaved woman, that ungodly son, that graceless daughter. Lord, use the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, to save the lost, to restore the fallen, and to encourage the saints of God. Come and fill me with thy spirit, I pray, and give to me, dear God, a double portion of the Holy Ghost, that the gospel might come, not in word only, but in power and in much assurance and in the Holy Ghost. Answer now these are prayers. I offer it, these petitions, in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. This psalm may be considered as the journal of one who was deeply taught in the things of God long practiced in the life and walk of faith. It is given for the use of believers in all ages as an excellent touchstone of vital godliness. This is how Charles Bridges, the 19th century English preacher and theologian, describes Psalm 119. Preeminently, this great psalm is a psalm of the Word of God, because God's Word is its subject in almost every one of its 176 verses. Repeated references made throughout the psalm to the Word of God, as the inspired penman employs terms such as way, law, testimonies, commandments, precepts, statutes, judgments, words, righteousness, and truth, all terms to refer to God's word. Although the human penman's identity is not known, yet one thing is certain about him. 
He has a deep love for the Word of God and a strong desire to conform his life to it. Philip Henry, father of Matthew Henry, advised his children to take a verse of Psalm 119 every morning and meditate upon it. He assured them that such practice would bring them, and I quote, to be in love with the rest of Scripture. Philip Henry's son Matthew must have taken his father's advice to heart. His great commentary on the Bible shows the immense love that Matthew Henry had for the Scriptures of truth. Luther, the great Protestant reformer, professed that he prized Psalm 119 so highly that he would not take the whole world in exchange for one leaf of it. George Wishart, Bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century, was condemned to death for his faith. But when he was on the scaffold, he made use of a custom that allowed the condemned person to choose one psalm to be sung. And he chose Psalm 119. History records that before two-thirds of the psalm had been sung, his pardon arrived and his life was spared. I smiled at that when I read it. Well seen, he didn't pick Psalm 117 to be sung, a psalm that only consisted of two verses, but rather Psalm 119 and its 176 verses. Now as you will note, Psalm 119 is arranged according to the letters of the Hebrew alphabet with each eight-verse section corresponding to a letter from the alphabet. It is the eighth section, a section entitled with the Hebrew letter Keth, that I want to draw your attention to, and in particular, the words found in the verses 59 and 60. The psalmist said in these verses, I thought on my ways and turned my feet on to thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. I believe that these words present, among other things, a neat synopsis of what is entailed in a person's conversion with regard to the sinner's viewpoint. Conversion is simply a turning to God. The late Dr. Cairns wrote that conversion is the exercise of the new nature subsequent to and because of regeneration in faith and repentance, the constituent parts of conversion. Tonight, I want us to consider these words in Psalm 119, verse 59 and 60, in a message that I've entitled, What Biblical Conversion Entails. What Biblical Conversion Entails. I trust that what I will say in this message will clarify this most important matter, especially if you profess to be converted that you would apprehend whether or not you have been truly brought to faith in Jesus Christ, whether you have experienced a biblical conversion experience. So important is this matter that the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 18 verse 3, except ye be converted, 
and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Conversion is a most momentous, a most important matter when it comes to your soul and God's great and unending eternity. So then, what is entailed in biblical conversion? In the first place, biblical conversion entails thinking. Thinking. Note the opening words of the verse 59. I thought on my ways. Reflection on one's life and on one's way of life is one of the initial stages in a person's conversion experience. Before the Spirit of God, before the Holy Ghost operates mysteriously, secretly, supernaturally upon the will of the sinner, the sinner gives little thought to their ways. Little concern is found in the sinner's mind and heart as to the fact that their sinful ways have led to their own misery. Little thought and concern is found in the sinner's mind and heart to the fact that their sinful ways have increased their condemnation before God. Little consideration is given to the fact by the sinner that their sinful ways have not only adversely affected themselves through their sinful way of living, but they have negatively affected their marriage partner and their relationship with them, their children, their family, yes, even into the community in which they live. But the sinner thinks nothing of that. The sinner thinks nothing. If the Holy Ghost has not began to work within the soul, thinks little of where their life of sin is going to end. They they give little thought that their sinful ways are ways that will eventually lead to their eternal ruin and their everlasting destruction and hell. However, when the Spirit of God begins to work, when the Holy Ghost begins His operation upon the sinner's soul, the sinner begins to reflect on their ways. They begin to do a little bit of thinking. That thinking occurs through the day, yes, into the wee small hours of the morning as the blessed Spirit of God begins to convict the soul. As the Spirit of God operates upon the will of the unconverted, he produces thoughtfulness concerning many matters. In the first instance, the Holy Spirit produces thoughtfulness when it comes to the sinner's many sins. To the sinner's many sins. Many are the sins the sinner commits against God, even from their earliest days. Sins of thought, sins of word, sins of deed. Listen to David's lament In Psalm 40, verse 12, he said, Therefore innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up there more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart feeleth me. David speaks of his iniquities being more than the hairs of his head. Whenever you consider that a human head of hair, consists of about a hundred thousand 
hair follicles. You can then understand why David's heart failed him when he thought about the many sins, the many iniquities, the many transgressions that he had committed against his God. I want you, the sinner, to take a little bit of time. I want you to think for a moment about your sins, your many sins. I want you to think about your sins of childhood. Consider your waywardness. Consider your rebellion. Consider your selfishness and those times when tempers flared in childhood. Think about your perversity. Think about the backwardness to that which was righteous and that which is good. I and your attraction, your biasness towards that which was evil and that which was unrighteousness. Those were but your childhood sins. Think about your sins of adolescence. Think about your mockery of the gospel, your rejection of Jesus Christ, the spurning off the Spirit of God in the gospel, the lack of respect for your godly and praying parents. Remember those sins of youth, your self-will and your pride, your worldly inclination, your longing after forbidden and sinful sins. Think about your sensual lifestyle. Think about your immoral living. Yes, and now into adulthood, call to mind your conduct since you became an adult and the many departures from God's way and from the Word of God, living a life that is fast and loose, living a life that is contrary to the teaching and the commandments, high and to the statutes of God's holy word. Surely your own life's history, since becoming a human being, you're unable to say, unable to say as you've reviewed even history, your own history, your own life history, History, you cannot say that you haven't sinned countless times against your maker. J.C. Ryle, he thought about the sins of the mind. And this is what he said, Consider how many evil things have gone through your mind, of which the world knows nothing at all. Remember the thousands of sinful imaginations and corrupt ideas which your heart has entertained even while your outward conduct has been correct, moral, and respectable. Think of the vile thoughts, the deceitful intentions, the false motives, the malicious uh, envious, spiteful feelings which have walked up and down in your inward man while those nearest and dearest to you have never dreamed or guessed that it was going on. Manifold are your sins. And when the Holy Spirit begins to awaken you from that spiritual slumber of death that you're in, you begin to think about your sin, the sins of commission, those things that you've done, the sins of omission, those things that you have failed to do, and you think about them. This is the beginning of conversion, of thinking about your many sins. Sinner, think about your sin. Think about where your sin will take you. In the second instance, the Holy Spirit produces thoughtfulness when it comes to the sinner's neglect of God's salvation. 
Scripture alerts us to the fact that there are those who are susceptible to neglecting God's so great salvation. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3, that question is asked, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How does a sinner come to neglect God's salvation? One of the ways a sinner neglects salvation is by placing more importance on the here and now rather than on eternal matters. For some, education must come first. For others, it might be their family that takes precedence within their lives. For others, it might be financial prosperity that is the main purpose of their living. Whilst for others, it's simply enjoying the world's pleasures. These are more important than the soul's salvation. My education, my career, my family, my business, my farm. Ah, yes, my pleasures, my travel, all these things more important. And by placing these things before God's salvation, the sinner comes to simply neglect it. Let me ask you, have you been neglecting God's so great salvation? I find that incredible. I find that incredible. Especially whenever we think of all that we have passed through as a nation to this present moment of time. If COVID-19 has taught us anything, it has taught us the uncertainty of life and the indiscriminate nature of death. These are the lessons that we have been taught through COVID-19. The inevitability of life, its uncertainty, and yes, the indiscriminate nature of death. Sinner, what could be more important than the salvation of your never-dying soul? What could be more important than that? What could be more important than being right with God? Being at peace with God. Being reconciled to God. Being a part of the family of God. What could be more important than that? Educational achievements, financial security, and pleasurable living will be of no comfort for you at the moment of death. If you die with no saving interest in Jesus Christ, on remembrance of your neglect of salvation, let this night be the night of your conversion. Do you not remember it, sinner? Is the Spirit of God now bringing you to think upon your neglect of God's salvation? But something else in the third instance, the Holy Spirit produces thoughtfulness when it comes to the sinner's resistance to God's efforts to bring them to repentance. God makes numerous attempts to arouse the sinner from their spiritual death and to draw them on to himself. Death, sickness, being brought to an end of oneself, sharing you with blessing after blessing are but some of the ways that God has employed to bring you to the place of repentance. But as yet, as yet it is Field to produce the desired outcome. 
unsaved friend. You're well aware, are you not? You're well aware of the times when God has spoken into your life and into your circumstances. You have known the convicting power of God's Spirit as you've sat under the Word. You're aware. You're aware of God's voice as you've listened to the preaching of the Gospel. You have felt your conscience reproved by God in the aftermath of some sinful activity that you've involved yourself in. These have been but some of God's attempts to commence you thinking about your sin and about your need of a Savior. But to date you've resisted. Yea, You've resented such attempts by God. Listen, sinner. You need to get thinking on your ways. You need to reflect on the course of life that you're living. Up until this very moment of time. Not only that, but you need to give serious consideration to the consequences attached to living a life of sin. So graceless soul, my counsel to you is stop and think. Stop and think. Stop and think of your sin, your sin that you'll have to meet again at the judgment. Think and stop and think of the lack of righteousness that you possess as a sinner, that your righteousness is as filthy rags. Stop and think of the condemnation that you're under tonight. Stop and think of the hell that awaits an unrepentant sinner at the end of a life of sin. Sinner, stop and think. Is the prodigal of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, not a case example of a person who exercised such contemplation in his life when it came to his sin? When sitting in the far country's pigsty, contemplating whether or not he would eat the swine's food, the divine record in Luke 15 tells us that the prodigal son came to himself. Reason returned to this young man as he started to think on his ways. We would say that he, he wised up. He came to himself. He caught himself on. He started to think. He started to think of where sin had brought him to. He started to think about what sin had reduced him to. He started to think about the home that he had come from. He started to think about the God that he had sinned against and the Father that he had sinned against. And all of this thinking brought him to make this resolve. I will arise and go to my Father's house. But he started to think. That was the initial step. But Saul, this thinking would see him eventually return to the father's house with contrition over his sin and confession of his sin. And it is my prayer, it is my prayer that you'll start tonight thinking on your ways and where those ways are going to take you, and that such a consideration will lead you to amend your ways. And that brings me seamlessly onto my second thought for this evening, because not only is there thinking on the part of the sinner, 
that is involved in any genuine conversion experience, but there is also a turning, a turning. Note in our text what the psalmist did when he thought in his ways. He didn't just think on his ways. Notice that he was aware. As he thought on his ways, he was aware that his ways were not aligned to God's ways. And so the psalmist did something. He turned his feet on to God's testimonies. Note verse 59. I thought on my ways and turned my feet onto thy testimony. Now notice with me what the psalmist did not say. He didn't say that he turned his eyes to God's testimonies. It didn't say that he turned his neck and his head to God's testimonies. It didn't say that he turned his hands to God's testimonies. Rather, he turned his feet onto God's testimony. And folks, whenever you turn your feet in a certain direction, the whole body turns. The whole body turns when the feet is turned. The language used here speaks of a complete turnabout taking place High and that's repentance. When there's a complete turning. When we apply this thought of turning to the matter of conversion, we must be aware that there needs to be a twofold turning. If the sinner is to be saved from their sin, there must be a turning from and there must be a turning to. Firstly, there is a turning from. A turning from sin. A turning from sin. Now the Bible employs another term when it speaks of a person turning from sin. But really it is but the same thing. It's the term repentance. Repentance. Let me be very clear. Well that's just really preachers speak for saying, let me be blunt So let me be blunt. Let me be clear tonight. No person can say that they have been truly converted to Jesus Christ if they continue to live as they once lived prior to their conversion experience. To continue to live in sin. To persist in facilitating sin. To go on pursuing sin. To remain a lover of sin clearly evidences that a person has never really turned from their sin. The turning from sin is essential. Jesus Christ said it. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Biblical repentance involves The forsaking of sin. It is to leave one sin and never return to it again by the grace of God. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Don't forget the two things, confession and forsaking. And the one who does that shall have mercy. The turning from sin. 
this turning from sin, this abandoning of sin comes when a sinner gets a true sight of their sin. They become aware of how exceeding sinful their sin really is before a holy God. And they begin to hate their sin and thereby they gladly, I and they willingly, and in godly sorrow, they turn from their sin forever. In practical terms, repentance is saying goodbye. Goodbye drink. Goodbye smoking. Goodbye drugs. Goodbye national lottery. Goodbye nightclub. Goodbye public house. Goodbye pornography. Goodbye swearing. Goodbye immoral living. Goodbye living in sin. Goodbye bookmakers. Goodbye. Goodbye. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let me say that this turning from sin is not some optional extra. If you're wanting a deluxe form of Christianity rather than the bog standard form of Christianity, there is no deluxe. And there is no bog standard forms of Christianity. It's either the whole hog or nothing. Repentance is an absolute necessity. It's God's bottom line. If you want to be saved from your sin and you want to be saved from hell, it's God's bottom line. No sinner ever gets into heaven without them having turned from their sin. And so the choice is very simple, sinner. Very simple. If you want Christ, if you want salvation, if you want heaven, if you want assurance, if you want peace with God, then you're going to have to forsake your sin. You're going to have to turn from your sin. But that's only the first part. Because there's not only a turning from, there's a turning to. A turning to God. That verse in Isaiah 55, verse 7, that I've just quoted, it speaks of the wicked forsaking their way and their righteous man's thoughts. goes on to say, and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. There is a turning from sin in the verse, and there is a turning to God in the verse. And here in Psalm 119, in the verse 59, the psalmist turns his feet from his sinful ways, and he turns those feet to God, and especially to God's testimonies. Many a sinner has turned from sin by self-reformation, and yet they've never turned to Christ. They never accepted his offer of salvation. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonian saints, he spoke of their repentance by stating how they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They turned from their idols, they turned to God, and then they served the living and the true God. And that's the two twin components of true repentance in a nutshell, a turning from sin and a turning on to God. Here the psalmist said that he turned his feet on to his testimonies. And what did he find when he turned his feet on to to God's testimonies? You know what he found? He found Christ. Because the prophets 
the Old Testament law all pointed to Christ, the Savior said in John's Gospel, search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He found Christ. And in finding Christ, he found the cross. He saw the cross on Mount Moriah as he turned his feet to the testimonies. Yes, and then the Levitical offerings, the sin offering, the Day of Atonement, all pointing away to that great once and for all sacrifice for sins. Yes, and so as he turned his feet to the testimonies, he found Christ, he found the cross, he found the cleansing blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He turned his feet to God's testimonies, he found peace with God. He's found joy. He found assurance. He found life. He found hope. He found heaven. No wonder, no wonder then he turned his feet to the testimonies. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said this, the best turn in the world is when a man turns to God. The best turn in the world is when a man turns to God. Have you turned to God? Of yourself, this turning from sin is not possible. But God enables the sinner. God enables the sinner to do this. And so, turn your feet. Turn your feet from sin. And turn your feet to God's testimonies. Obey the counsel found within the testimony of Scripture. Repent and believe the gospel. And not only that, but let the promises within the testimonies of God, let those promises entice you, woo you, draw you to leave your sin behind and come to Christ this very moment. True conversion, it entails thinking. It entails turning. Finally and very quickly, it entails a transforming. This really is the fruit, the evidence of a true conversion experience, a transformed life. Look there at the psalmist's words in the verse 60. He said, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. This is the off shoot. This is the fruit, this is the byproduct of him thinking on his ways and turning his feet on to God's testimonies. Now he says, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Now before, before this conversion experience as we, we look at it here, this man, this psalmist, he broke God's commandments. He laughed at God's commandments. He lived a life contrary to God's commandments. But all has changed. A great transformation has taken law. Now he's making haste. He's delaying not to keep God's commandments. These words express an eagerness. They express to me an enthusiasm. They express to me an energy on the part of the psalmist to keep God's commandments. This is what he wants to do now. He wants to keep God's word. This is only possible by a life transformed by the transformative power of God and the gospel. 
This man doesn't continue in a course of sin, but rather he forsakes his sin and now keeps God's commandments. Let me be clear on the issue, lest there be a misunderstanding. The keeping of God's commandments is not the cause of a person's salvation. It is the proof of a person's salvation. The keeping of God's commandments evidences that we know God according to 1 John 2 verse 3, and hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The evidence that we love God according to John fourteen twenty one. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. The evidence that they dwell in Christ and Christ dwells in us according to 1 John three twenty four. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. It is then for you to assess by the process of self-examination whether or not you have experienced the transformative power of God and the gospel. Such will be evidenced in a desire to obey and to comply to God's commandments which are not grievous. Is this not good counsel for you who are backslidden tonight? These words, backslider, would it not be good for you to think on your ways? To think on your life since your departure from God? To think of the shame that you've brought to the name of Christ? The heartache that you brought to a godly wife, a godly mother, a father, a Christian brother or sister. And there it is. Now you are in that home wherever you are tonight and you're reaping now the harvest of your sin of backsliding. Think on your way. Think on your way, backslider. And turn your feet to God's testimonies and you'll find in God's testimony these words. I am married to the backslider. Return. Return. For I will love thee freely. He will restore unto you the years that the locusts have eaten. Yes, child of God, are these not good words for us to think about? I thought on my ways... It would be good for us to do that. Have you allowed a worldly spirit to come into that life of yours? Is there some sin, besetting sin believer, that you need to repent of and forsake? Is there some brother, some sister that you need to be reconciled unto? Not one, not one could look on their ways as a believer and say, as Christ said, I do always those things that please him. None of us could say that. We've all failed and denied our Lord. There's certainly room for self-examination in these days. We would think on our ways and not only think on them, but turn our feet to God's testimonies again. Oh, may God help us in this. And so as I close, let me say to you who are unsaved, make haste. And delay not. Make haste to Christ. Delay no longer in your sin. Turn from it. 
and trust in the Savior. It will be a decision that you'll never regret. The only regret will be that you hadn't come to Christ sooner. I thought in my ways and turned my feet on to thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. May this be your testimony and may this night be the moment of your turning from sin and your turning on to God and that evidence by a life of obedience to God's commandments. If you need pastoral help, then do not hesitate to contact the church manson 028-25821-765. Message us on Facebook Messenger. Contact us via our email address, portlandownfpc at hotmail.co.uk. But seek the Savior. Think in your ways. Where your ways will take you. And come to Christ. You do so even tonight. For the praise of the everlasting God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our loving Father, we thank thee for thy word. And we pray that tonight the word of God will find a resting place in some soul. Help us to think on our ways. May our feet be turned on to thy testimonies. For in them we find the gospel, the good news. That there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open that all may go in. It's at the cross where the sinner begins and they come as a sinner to Jesus. Bring sinners to that point of decision. And may, O God, the name of Christ alone be glorified. We offer prayer in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. And amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.